This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 26, Debating Dharma. Last episode, we left off with Krishna making excuses for not being there to stop the dice game that sent the Pandavas to exile and fired Draupadi's determination to see the destruction of the Karavas. Krishna said that he certainly would have halted the Karava shenanigans had he only known what was happening. But unfortunately, he was busy leveling a city, and so he had not gotten news of the game until it was well over. It would seem that this lapse on Krishna's part undermined his reputation for omniscience. But what do I know about these things? Whatever happened, Krishna missed his chance to change history, and he had to answer Draupadi for it. As for what had happened while Krishna was away, he said he had been busy destroying the city of Sabha. This was big news in itself, so everyone in the forest gathered around to hear about Krishna's violent conflict with King Shalva. If the name Shalva sounds familiar, it's because we met him before, way back when Bhishma's half-brother Vichy Treviria was king. As I mentioned last time, Bhishma had abducted the three princesses of Kashi to become wives for his brother. Only after taking these women to Hastinapur did Bhishma find out that the eldest was already pledged to Shalva. Bhishma had fought off Shalva during his getaway from Kashi, so Shalva already had a grudge against the Kurus. Matters were only made worse during Yudhishthira's royal consecration ceremony, in which Krishna was given the place of honor, and Sishupal of Chedi was killed by Krishna for refusing to accept Krishna's elevation. We are not told here why exactly Shalva was so angry over Sishupal's murder, but he was so angry that he boarded his Vamana, which is described as a floating city named Salbha, and flew it to Dwarka, where he besieged the city. Travel by flying Vimana was much quicker than going by chariot, so the siege began while Krishna and his fellow nobles were still journeying overland from Indraprastha. The fortress city of Dwarka was only defended by a handful of second-tier warriors led by Krishna's son, Pradyumna. What ensued was a typical Bronze Age standoff, except Shalva was flying around bombing Dwarka by air. Despite his youth and inexperience, Pradyumna defended his city heroically. Once his arrows scored a direct hit on Shalva and knocked him senseless, but the angry king soon recovered and resumed his assault. King Shalva's counterattack nearly killed the young Pradyumna. The boy was hit in the chest and fell into his chariot. His driver, fearing for Pradyumna's life, turned the chariot around and fled straight for the city gates. When the boy awoke from his swoon, he scolded the charioteer, telling him that a proud Kshatriya never turns his back on the battlefield. The boy rejoined the fray, and Shalva then resorted to magical Asura arrows, but Pradyumna deflected them with his own Brahma missile, followed by a flurry of more conventional arrows. Shalva was knocked back by the attack, and Pradyumna saw his chance. Stringing the arrow that would be Shalva's death, the prince was interrupted by a great wind and loud voices, saying, You may not kill Shalva. It has been preordained that Devaki's son Krishna will have the duty. The boy obediently put back the arrow and allowed Shalva to remount his Vamana and retreat to his kingdom with all his soldiers. It was only after Shalva's attack on Dwarka had been repulsed that Krishna finally arrived home to see the damage. After surveying the destruction and hearing of the heroics of his son and the other Vrishni defenders, Krishna announced that he was going to take the war to the lands of King Shalva and he would not return home until Shalva was dead. Krishna led a war party in search of Shalva. They traveled over mountains and across rivers to find him. Finally, they encountered Shalva, hovering in his vimana over the ocean. Krishna's warriors fired their arrows, but were unable to reach the floating craft high up in the atmosphere. Finally, Krishna whispered arcane spells to his bow and fired those magical bolts into Shalva's midst. 
The arrows tore through Shalva's supporters, killing and dismembering his warriors on all sides. In anger, Shalva brought his Vimana in close, and the two forces traded magical attacks until night and day could not be distinguished. In the confusion of the melee, Shalva slipped away in his Vimana and launched a second surprise attack on Dwarka. Thus, while Krishna's forces were engaged in battle in this remote spot, they received a message that Dwarka was under assault and Krishna's father Vasudeva had been killed. Krishna confessed that at that moment he reviled both the son and his brother. He had left them behind to defend the city, and yet somehow the city was under attack and his father was dead. He considered how he could possibly make it back home in time to be of any help, while the thought of his father dying consumed him with sadness and indecision. While the battle still raged around him, Krishna fell into a deep funk, sitting down in his chariot and refusing to fight. His mind reeling, he suddenly grasped the solution to his problem. None of this was real. It was all an illusion. Shalva's magic had nearly caused him to flee the battle. The spell now broken, Shalva's Vimana appeared before him, and Krishna resumed his attack, killing many of Shalva's shipmates. The Vimana then exhibited its ability to turn invisible, and then suddenly appeared and began raining down enormous mounds of earth, burying Krishna and scattering his army. Finally deciding to end the conflict, Krishna broke out his favorite weapon, the magic frisbee Sudarshana Chakra. He blew away all the earth that had covered him, and then directed his disc at Shalva's Salva Vimana. Growing to fit the need, the disc cut right through the enormous floating city, breaking it into two, and, on its return path, cutting him into two pieces as well. The floating city crashed to the earth in an enormous shambles. Krishna surveyed the destruction, and then returned home victorious. He explained again that it was only after returning from this epic battle that he learned of the Pandava's exile. When Krishna finished telling this story, he and the other allies packed up their chariots and left for home. No one had answered Draupadi's complaints, but it was obvious that the plan was to wait 13 years, and only then would they decide on their mode of revenge. All the Brahmins in the Pandava's camp probably were relieved to see the pack of warriors go, because after the allies departed, they gathered around Yudhishthira. One of their leaders then began a long speech on the importance of keeping lots and lots of Brahmins around. Yudhishthira didn't argue with them on this, and the Brahmins were content to live in the forest with their half-Brahmin Sadhu king. Draupadi was by no means content to see her husbands transformed into holy Brahmins, and that evening after dinner she laid into them. She said to Yudhishthira, I remember how you used to live in your palace. I remember your throne of gold and ivory, how you were glowing with sandal paste, like the sun, surrounded by kings. And now I see you in your deerskin skirts, covered in mud and clothed in tree bark. I remember when your brothers each had their own hall and had feasts for thousands of guests, and now they sleep on the ground and eat roots. They did not deserve this, and my heart finds no peace. Look at Bhima, moping around in the dust. He used to be so proud. Doesn't that make you angry? She went on with her complaint, pointing to each of her husbands in turn, describing how low he had fallen, all with the refrain, and doesn't that make you angry? She then pointed to herself, saying, You have seen me go to the forest, me who was born of the ancient lineage of Drupad. So why didn't your anger soar? There's no Shatri in the world who is without anger. and you, I now see the opposite. A knight who does not act when necessary is despised by all. Therefore, she said, I think it is time that you stood up against the offensive Karavas. The time for forgiveness is past. Now is the time for action. Facing a mutiny, Yudhishthira replied with a lecture on self-control. He said, Anger kills men, but it never makes them better off. 
An angry man will do evil. He may even kill his elders. With insight, the wise control their anger. Truth prevails over falsehood and mildness over cruelty. Be content, Draupadi, to be patient and do not be angry. Be assured that Bhishma, Vidur, Drona, and Vyasa are all urging peace. Duryodhana is sure to return our kingdom, and if not, he will certainly perish. A terrible time has come for the undoing of the Bhadatas. This has been my conclusion, angry Krishna. Duryodhana is not capable of patience and can find none. I am capable of patience, and therefore patience has found me. The way of those who have mastered themselves is to be patient and gentle. Draupadi was not impressed. She replied acidly, The Lord has befuddled your brains. You should carry on in the way of your father and grandfather, but your mind has gone soft. I think you would abandon me, your brothers, and even your mother before you would give up Dharma. They say that Dharma protects the king who upholds it, but it does not protect you. Your mind is obsessed at your dishonest defeat at dice. You lost your kingdom, your riches, your brothers, and me. You used to be upright, gentle, modest, and truthful. So how could the spirit of gambling overtake you? My mind has become utterly bewildered and burns with grief as I see the sorrow of yours in this great distress. Her distressed husband now took a more consoling tone, saying, I hear your well-phrased and polished words, Yagyaseni. I do not act in quest of the fruits of Dharma. I give because I must. I sacrifice because I must. By its nature, my mind is committed to Dharma. He who wants advantages from Dharma does not obtain its reward. Do not doubt Dharma, for he who doubts it becomes an animal. He who doubts Dharma finds no other standard and ends up setting himself as a standard, and he insolently despises his betters. For those who travel to heaven, Dharma is their only ship. Therefore, let your doubts perish, Draupadi. Draupadi argued back, I am not condemning Dharma in any way, king. Action is required of all living creatures. Only inanimate matter does not need to act. As long as you do not get attached to the results, action is always called for. We may succeed or we might fail, but in either case we shall have acted and we will win glory. Bhima's frustration at the futility of this exchange moved him to speak. We should be acting like the kings that we are. Our lands were taken unfairly and so we should pursue justice. Why do we sit here in animal skins living off the dirt and rocks? The pursuit of justice is our highest duty. Sometimes a higher duty trumps a lesser one. Arjun is unmatched in the three worlds at the bow, and I am undefeated with my club. How could we fail to take back our kingdom? He continued, There is no worse calamity for a Kshatriya than to lose your kingdom to a lesser man, but yet you sit here and quietly accept this. You are as meek as a Brahmin. How is it you were born a Kshatriya? Kshatriyas are usually born tough-minded. We have already lived in the forest for thirteen months, my king, and advisors say that for rituals a month may be substituted for a year. Therefore, let's go now and kill our enemies, because for us there is no dharma other than to fight. Yudhishthira sighed deeply and brooded a while. Then finally he said, I hear what you are saying, but consider, impulsive acts have bad outcomes. Only well-advised, well-planned actions can lead to success. Consider also that we made many enemies during our world conquest. All of our enemies have now joined together and will not be easily defeated. While Bhima remained unhappy and dissatisfied, he would not defy his older brother. And besides, he could not think of a better argument, so he made no reply. As the two Pandavas were thus engaged in argument, Vyasa arrived at their camp. After the usual greetings, Vyasa spoke, Yudhishthira, I know the thoughts in your heart and your fears, and so I have hurried here to set your heart at ease. He went on, 
The time is coming for your victory, when Dhananjaya Arjun will overpower his enemies in battle. Vyasa then taught Yudhishthira a magical spell called Conjuration. He also advised that they send Arjun to the mountains, and there he would acquire weapons from Indra, Rudra, and Varuna. Finally, Vyasa took a look at their encampment and said, Now you should leave this forest. The deer have been eaten up and the plants and herbs are scarce. Find another suitable place for you and all your Brahmins. Ever obedient, Yudhishthira broke up camp and moved to a new spot. These movements are curious, but I'll get into that later. For now, the point is that the brothers moved to a new location, and only after that did Yudhishthira act on the rest of Vyasa's advice. After settling down, the Dharmaraja called a meeting and told Arjun what Vyasa had recommended. Yudhishthira said, Arjun is the master of archery, but Bhishma, Drona, Kripa, and Drona's son Ashvatama are all equally masters of the art. Dhritarashtra's son has carefully cultivated their alliance. Furthermore, Duryodhana has sway over all the kings of the world. For our part, we have only you to rely on, you who are our only hope, and so you will need some help if we are to succeed. I have a secret knowledge that I acquired from Vyasa, and with it the entire universe will become visible to you. Possessing this power, you must seek out the gods. You will need to perform great austerities and then travel north, seek out Indra, because he has the weapons we shall need to accomplish our ends. Yudhishthira then trained Arjun in the secret mantras, and the left-handed archer consecrated himself and then departed for the Himalayas, equipped with his Gandava bow and armed for a fight. That's all for now. Next time, we'll follow Arjun's exploits as he journeys into the heavenly realms in search of weapons. Before we go, I'd like to point out one inconsistency in the story concerning the places our heroes made camp. Following the dice game, we were told that the Pandavas journeyed straight to the Kanyaka forest, they remained in the Kanyaka woods through the meeting with Krishna in episode 25. Strangely, the next chapter begins to jump back in time to the Pandava's departure from the dice game. I left this out of our narrative because it is a rehash of the first departure, with the townspeople begging to join the brothers in the woods. The story is different this time in that as they left, Arjun suggested that they set up camp at Lake Dvaitavana and not Kanyaka. In this retelling, we skip the scene with Krishna and the allies, and go straight to the big debate between Draupadi and Yudhishthira. As we discussed, Vyasa then shows up and advises that they move camp to the Kanyaka woods, which they do. This second telling of the departure to the woods is inconsistent with the first version. It gives me the strong impression that these might have been two separate versions of the same story, but that both were too good to only pick one, so both were included. That's my guess anyway. Thanks for listening. Thank you.